0: This is a Timmet Podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. This episode is part of the second series. Chronologically, it falls somewhere before episode 35. The title of this episode is Miniature Mammoths. Miniature Mammoths Dave McPherson down the street likes to walk in the woods. That's not unusual for a Yukoner. Lots of people here walk. But Dave is always out in the woods between Porter Creek and the college, ranging as far as Whistle Bend one way and over across the highway the other way. Alex says it's because Dave doesn't want to stay home with his wife. Yes, Pamela does talk a lot, but she's okay. She's not home all the time because she's frequently out hunting for beans for the food bank. But even so... Dave does walk a lot. And it's not just random wandering. He's out hunting. Dave hunts history. That started after he retired from the government. He noticed strange cut lines through the forest and found expired mineral claim stakes. That inspired him to dig out old survey plans and aerial photos. And he's been down to talk to the mining recorder. That led him to discover some old mine shafts by the landfill and track down old records about them. It's quite interesting, actually. He showed me some old wooden survey posts with Roman numerals hand-carved on them, well over a hundred years old, and he has copies of the field notes, handwritten by the surveyors who put those very posts in place. Dave's crowning achievement so far has been the discovery of the lost portal of the Anaconda Mine. Yeah I know, that sounds very much like Indiana Jones, but Dave had the survey plan of the mine from the early 1900s and plotted it out on the ground with his GPS. He knew where the two main pits were, hidden in the woods not very far from the landfill road. But an old document from 1909 talked about the main shaft being somewhere else, closer to the highway. So he figured out where it might be and kept looking. He didn't find it until this year, when the fill covering the entrance slumped and revealed the hole. Even then, it was really hard to find, unless you knew exactly where to look. So Mara, Alex and I have been out hiking with Dave, and he showed us the mines and the hidden survey posts. That was all quite fascinating but what interested alex the most was the secret valley in the area between the white horse landfill and the fish lake road porter creek flows through a short steep canyon the sides are mostly vertical cliffs and even the end of the valley that is closer to the landfill road is securely hidden behind a thick curtain of trees people drive by it all the time without even suspecting it's there dave said he would be surprised if even one person visited it every year even though it's so close to town He'd spent all his life in Whitehorse and only discovered it after he'd started his post retirement walking. Alex just couldn't accept that there was a place that nobody visited. We could visit it, she declared. So we tried. There are a few places on the north side where the cliffs are not completely straight up and down. We could have gotten down there, well, though maybe with some broken bones. We could never have gotten back up, though. On the south side, there are more trees, but the slope is just as abrupt. We could reach out and almost touch the tops of tall trees that were growing far down on the valley floor. Alex suggested we jump out into the top of a tree and then climb down. And I vetoed that idea. Finally, we found a way in at one end of the valley, although it was kind of hard to know where the end of the valley was because it was so well hidden. We pushed our way through some very heavy undergrowth and walked gingerly along right on the edge of the creek. Twenty steps into the valley it was like being in a jungle. Behind us, We couldn't see where we had entered. There were giant trees really close together, and some had fallen every which way, blocking our path. There were lots of great big leafy plants we had never seen before, and we sank ankle-deep into the lush moss at every step. It was hard going, and everything was quite humid. We had to keep crossing the stream on logs. That was tricky, because the creek zigzagged from one side of the narrow valley to the other, hemming us in against the vertical walls. "'Do you think there are snakes?' asked Alex somewhat fearfully. It was certainly the sort of movie-set jungle where a big snake would silently drop down and loop itself around some unsuspecting member of the party and carry them off just before they could scream. Just like Ireland, Yukon has no snakes. At least none that anyone has discovered yet. I set Alex's mind at rest, but I hope we weren't going to be the first ones to make some sort of unhappy discovery. So we struggled on, but after half an hour, we had made very little headway through the jungle. So we turned around and fought our way out again. Only one of us fell into the creek during our crossing, and it wasn't Alex. As we waited for a gap in the traffic so we could cross the highway on our walk home, Alex said, So maybe that's where the miniature mammoths live. I asked what she meant, and she explained. Remember when we were at the Beringia Museum? They had a display about mammoths. Mammoths used to be really big, like like the big mammoth skeleton they had there, even bigger than elephants. But then the weather started to change, and the plants changed, and the mammoths couldn't get enough to eat. You need a lot to eat when you're really big. So the poor mammoths started walking, and they went where they could find the right food. And because there wasn't quite enough to eat, they started to get smaller. And finally, the last mammoths were really small and lived on a little island somewhere way up north. Remember? Yes, that was Wrangel Island, I said, somewhere off the north coast of Russia. The last mammoths were there about 4,000 years ago, and people were hunting them too. "'Exactly,' said Alex. "'Well, suppose that some of the mammoths "'walked south instead of north, "'and it took a long time, and they, and they got small. "'Suppose they were looking for a place to hide "'where they could get lots to eat. "'Suppose they found this little valley right here. "'Say they found their way in, just like we did, "'and it was a perfect place for little mammoths. "'They might still be here, hiding, "'and because nobody ever goes into the valley, "'nobody knows about them.' But "'But how big would they be?' I asked. Well, I don't know, really, replied Alex. Maybe about, maybe about the size of Quark. Quark is our golden retriever dog. He's about 30 kilograms. So on the way home, we talked about miniature mammoths and filled in the details. Well big mammoths would move slowly in herds like elephants, miniature mammoths might run around in packs like badly behaved dogs, maybe defending themselves by jumping up to push people over, poke them with their little tusks, and trample them with their little feet. Maybe they would come to the end of the valley and look out discreetly between the trees at people going by in their cars. Mother mammoths would warn their mammoth babies not to venture out of the safety of the valley. Father mammoths would train their mammoth children in the pushover, poke, and trample tactics that had protected them for centuries against the few hardy souls that ever ventured into the valley. "'We're lucky we didn't get killed!' exclaimed Alex, and then she giggled. "'I bet they're all down at the other end of the valley, sharpening their tusks on rocks.' So we told Dave McPherson about the miniature mammoths. He laughed and thought it was a good idea. When he took other people to see the mines in the area, he referred to the valley as the Secret Valley of Miniature Mammoths. For the Facebook Outdoors Meetup group, I led a series of hikes that I advertised as skirting the unexplored rim of the Secret Valley of Miniature Mammoths. I realized when I got home that nobody even asked about the mammoths. They just accepted that as the real name and as we stood on the edge of McIntyre Creek for the geology tour in the fall, the guiding geologist referred to the Secret Valley of Miniature Mammoths, just over there, she said, pointing. The rocks were different over there. Everyone nodded knowingly. The Secret Valley wasn't so secret anymore, at least among the adults of Whitehorse. Alex wanted to make a website about miniature mammoths, so I gave her a hand. It took us a long time on the computer with a picture of a real mammoth to cut out the original background and pasted it into a photo we had taken of the actual jungle on the floor of the valley. I thought it was kind of cute the way the mammoths were peering out from behind a tree. We added details like how miniature mammoths were shy on their own, but quite aggressive in packs. They were adept in bounding over the creek, a skill they had developed over thousands of years, traveling up and down the deep, secret valley, located in an undisclosed location, somewhere near Whitehorse. Alex made up a story about the adventures of Melissa the Miniature Mammoth, who lived in the secret valley. Together, Alex and Mara wrote the story down and made it into a book, complete with hand-drawn miniature mammoth pictures. Then I helped Alex read the story into podcasts that we put on our miniature mammoth internet site, along with some of the scanned drawings. That got a lot of attention from the under 10 crowd and was the subject of a study unit in a grade two class in one of the Whitehorse schools. And then we sort of forgot about mammoths until several months later, when I got a call from a journalist Who had been alerted to the mammoth story by his internet-cruising eight-year-old son. If his magazine sent a team to Whitehorse, could I show them the secret valley of miniature mammoths so they could do a video documentary on the last remaining mammoths in the world as part of a series on climate change? They were hoping I could get them close enough for some good footage of the mammoths hopping over stream but far enough away so the camera person wouldn't be rushed by the pack. I won't mention the name of the publication, but you'd certainly recognize it if I did. They're big enough to know better. At least the calling journalist had the common sense to be embarrassed when I explained to him the real story of the secret valley of miniature mammoths. (laughs) We all got a good laugh out of this, and so did Dave McPherson. I'm a bit worried, though. Dave has something new to show Alex and me on Saturday. At the far end of the valley, he has discovered what he is calling the Pond of Giant Beavers. Alex has seen the giant beaver they have at the Beringia Museum, Okay, suppose giant beavers have actually survived 12,000 years since the end of the Ice Age, hidden away here in some secret pond in Whitehorse. The real test will be, can they survive the Internet Age? And a six-year-old's cute story with a title something like, Betsy the Bashful Beaver. This has been a Timmet Podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmit.ca podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.